welcome everybody to your favorite Friday night podcast, The Paranormal Umbrella. And tonight we present to you 31 days of October or 31 days of Halloween. And we're going to be doing our last creepypasta reading for the month. <clears throat> the creepypasta that we are reading tonight is called The No End House. And it is a two-parter, and it's going to run a little long. I am also going to give you a disclaimer. There is going to be trigger warnings right now. In this creepypasta, there will be talk of unaliving oneself, dismemberment, murder, mayhem, and um, it does at one point get graphic. There will also be a few cuss words in here. So uh, we're going to put a tag for not safe for work. And we will also put a trigger warning when we post this. Um, so if you want to head out and this isn't your thing and you don't want to listen, this is your warning now. I'm going to give you a little second. Okay, so tonight we present to you the No End House, creepy pasta. <clears throat> Let me start by saying that Peter Terry was addicted to heroin. We were friends in college and continued to be after I graduated. Notice I said I. He dropped out after two years of barely cutting it. After I moved out of the dorms and into a small apartment, I didn't see Peter. We would talk online every then. AIM was pre-Facebook years, uh, a period where he wasn't online for about five weeks straight. I wasn't worried. He was a drug addict, so I assumed night I saw him before I could initiate a conversation, he sent me a message. David, man, to talk. That was when he told me about the no-end house. It got that name as reached the final exit. The rules were pretty simple and cliche. Reach the final room of the building and you win $500. There was nine rooms in all. The house was located outside the city, roughly four miles from my house. Apparently, Peter had tried and failed. He was heroin and who knows what else addict. So I figured the drugs got the best of him and he wiggled out at a paper ghost, wigged out at a paper ghost or something. He told me it would be too much for anyone, that it was unnatural. I didn't believe him. I told him I would check it out the next night and no matter how hard he tried to convince me otherwise, $500 sounded too good to be true. I had to go. I set out the following night. When I arrived, I immediately noticed something strange about the building. Have you ever seen or read something that shouldn't be scary, but for some reason a chill crawls up your spine? I walked toward the building and the feeling of uneasiness only intensified as I opened the front door. My heart slowed and I let a relieved sigh leave, leave me as I entered. The room was a normal hotel lobby decorated for Halloween. A sign was posted in place of a worker. It read, Room 1, this way. Eight more follow. Reach the end and you win. 
I chuckled and made my way to the first door. The first area was almost laughable. The decor resembled the Halloween aisle of a Kmart, complete with sheet ghosts and animatronic zombies that gave a static growl when you passed by. At the far end was an exit. It was the only door besides the one I had entered through. I brushed through the fake spider webs and headed for the second room. I was greeted by fog as I opened the door to room two. The room definitely upped the ante in terms of technology. Not only was there a fog machine, but a bat hung from the ceiling and flew in a circle. Scary. They seemed to have a Halloween soundtrack that one would find in a 99-cent store on loop somewhere in the room. I didn't see a stereo, but I guessed they must have used a PA system or something. I stepped over a few toy rats that wheeled around and walked with a puffed chest across to the next area. I reached for the doorknob, and my heart sank to my knees. I didn't want to open the door. A feeling of dread hit me so hard I could barely even think. Logic overtook me after a few terrifying moments, and I shook it off and entered the next room. Room three is when things began to change. On the surface, it looked like a normal room. There was a chair in the middle of the wood-paneled floor, a single lamp in the corner, did a poor job of lighting the area, casting a few shadows across the floor and walls. That was the problem. Shadows, plural. With the exception of the chairs, there were others. I had barely walked in the door and I was already terrified. It was at that moment that I knew something wasn't right. I didn't even think as I automatically tried to open the door I came through, it was locked from the other side. That set me off. Was someone locking the doors as I progressed? There was no way I would, I would have heard them. Was it a mechanical lock that set automatically? Maybe, but I was too scared to really think. I turned back to the room and the shadows were gone. The chair's shadow remained, but the others were gone. I slowly began to walk. I used to hallucinate when I was a kid, so I wrote off the shadows as a figment of my imagination. I began to fear or feel better as I made it to the halfway point of the room. I looked down as I took my steps and that's when I saw it or didn't see it. My shadow wasn't there. I didn't have time to scream. I ran as fast as I could to the other door and flung myself without thinking into the room beyond. The fourth room was possibly the most disturbing. As I closed the door, all light seemed to be sucked out and put back into the previous room. I stood there, surrounded by darkness, not able to move. I'm not afraid of the dark, and never have been, but I was absolutely terrified. All sight had left me. I held my hand in front of my face, and if I didn't know what I was doing, I would have never been able to tell. Darkness doesn't describe it. I couldn't hear anything. It was dead silent. When you're in a soundproof room, you can still hear yourself breathing. You can hear yourself being alive. I couldn't. I began to stumble forward after a few moments. My rapidly beating heart, the only thing I could feel. There was no door in sight. Wasn't even sure there was one this time. The silence was then broken by a low hum. I felt something behind me. I spun around wildly but could barely even see my nose. 
I knew it was there, though. Regardless of how dark it was, I knew something was there. The hum grew louder, closer. It seemed to surround me, but I never, but I knew whatever was causing the noise was in front of me, inching closer. I took a step back. I had never felt that kind of fear. I can't really describe true fear. I wasn't even scared I was going to die. I was scared of what the alternative was. I was afraid of what this thing had in store for me. Then the lights flashed for a second and I saw it. Nothing. I saw nothing, and I know I saw nothing there. The room was again plunged into darkness, and the hum became a wild screech. I screamed in protest. I couldn't hear this goddamn sound for another minute. I ran backwards, away from the noise, and fumbled for the door handle. I turned and fell into room five. Before I describe room five, you have to understand something. I'm not a drug addict. I have had no history of drug abuse or any sort of psychosis short of the childhood hallucinations I mentioned earlier, and those were only when I was really tired or just waking up. I entered the no-end house with a clear head. After falling in from the previous room, my view of room five was from my back, looking up at the ceiling. What I saw didn't scare me. It simply surprised me. Trees had grown into the room and towered above my head. The ceiling in this room was taller than the others, which made me think I was in the center of the house. I got up off the floor, dusted myself off, and took a look around. It was definitely the biggest room of them all. I couldn't even see the door from where I was. Various brush and trees must have blocked my line of sight with the exit. Up to this point, I figured the rooms were going to get scarier, but this was a paradise compared to the last room. I also assumed whatever was in room four stayed back there. I was incredibly wrong. As I made my way deeper into the room, I, became, I began to hear what one would hear if they were in a forest. Chirping bugs and the occasional flap of birds seemed to be my only companion in this room. That was the thing that bothered me the most. I heard the bugs and other animals, but I didn't see any of them. I began to wonder how big this house really was. From the outside, when I first walked up to it, it looked like a regular house. It was definitely on the bigger side, but this was almost a full forest in here. The canopy covered my view of the ceiling, but I assumed it was still there, however high it was. I couldn't see any walls either. The only way I knew I was still inside was that floor matched the other rooms, the standard dark wood paneling. I kept walking, hoping that the next tree I passed would reveal the door. After a few moments of walking, I felt a mosquito fly onto my arm. I shook it off and kept going. A second later, I felt about 10 more land on my skin at different places. I felt them crawl up and down my arms and legs, and, I, and a few made their way across my face. I flailed wildly to get them all off, but they just kept crawling. I looked down and let out a muffled scream, more of a whimper to be honest. I didn't see a single bug. Not one bug was on me, but I could feel them crawl. I heard them fly by my face and sting my skin, but I couldn't see a single one. I dropped to the ground and began to roll wildly. I was desperate. I hate bugs especially ones I couldn't see or touch. 
but these bugs could touch me and they were everywhere. I began to crawl. I had no idea where I was going. The entrance was nowhere in sight and I still hadn't even seen the exit. So I just crawled, my skin wriggling with the presence of those phantom bugs. After what seemed like hours, I found the door. I grabbed the nearest tree and propped myself up, mindlessly slapped my arms and legs to no avail. I tried to run, but I couldn't. My body was exhausted from crawling and dealing with whatever it was that was on me. I took a few shaky steps to the door, grabbing each tree on the way for support. It was only a few feet away when I heard it, the low hum from before. It was coming from the next room and it was deeper. I could almost feel the inside, feel it inside my body. Like when you stand next to an amp at a concert, the feeling of the bugs on me lessened as the hum grew louder. As I placed my hand on the doorknob, the bugs were completely gone, but I couldn't bring myself to turn the knob. I knew that if I let go, the bugs would return and there was no way I would make it back to room four. I just stood there, my head pressed against the door marked six and my hand shakily grasping the knob. The hum was so loud I couldn't even hear myself pretend to think. There was nothing I could do but move on. Room six was next and room six was hell. I closed the door behind me, my eyes held shut and my ears ringing. The hum was surrounding me and the door clicked into place. The hum was gone. I opened my eyes in surprise and the door I had shut was gone. It was just a wall now. I looked around in shock. The room was identical to room three, the same chair and lamp, but with the correct amount of shadows this time. The only real difference was that there was no exit door and the, and the one I came in through was now gone. As I said before, I have no previous issue in terms of mental instability, but at that moment, I fell into what I now know was insanity. I didn't scream. I didn't make a sound. At first, I scratched softly. The wall was tough, but I knew the door was there somewhere. I just knew it was. I scratched at the doorknob. I clawed at the wall frantically with both hands, my nails being filed down to the skin against the wood. I fell silently to my knees, the only sound in the room, the incessant scratching against the wall. I knew it was there. The door was there. I knew it just had to be there. I knew if I could just get past this wall. Are you all right? I jumped off the ground and spun in one motion. I leaned against the wall behind me and I saw what it was that spoke to me. To this day, I regret ever turning around. There was a little girl. She was wearing a soft white dress that went down to her ankles. She had long blonde hair to the middle of her back and white skin and blue eyes. She was the most frightening thing I had ever seen. And I know that nothing in my life will ever be as unnerving as what I saw in her. While looking at her, I saw something else. Where she stood, I saw what looked like a man's body, only larger than normal and covered in hair. He was naked from, from head to toe, but his head was not human and his toes were hooves. It wasn't the devil, but at that moment, it might as well have been. The form had the head of a ram and the snout of a wolf. 
It was horrifying, and it was synonymous with the little girl in front of me. They were the same form. I can't really describe it, but I saw them at the same time. They shared the same spot in that room, but it was like looking at two separate dimensions. When I saw the girl, I saw the form, and when I saw the form, I saw the girl. I couldn't speak. I could barely even see. My mind was revolting against what it was attempting to process. I had been scared before in my life, and I had never been more scared than when I was trapped in the fourth room, but that was before room six. I just stood there, staring at whatever it was that spoke to me. There was no exit. I was trapped here with it, and then it spoke again. David, you should have listened. When it spoke, I heard the words of the little girl, but the other form spoke through my mind in a voice I won't attempt to describe. There was no other sound. The voice just kept repeating that sentence over and over in my mind, and I agreed. I didn't know what to do. I was slipping into madness, yet couldn't take my eyes off of what was in front of me. I dropped to the floor. I thought I had passed out, but the room wouldn't let me. I just wanted it to end. I was on my side, my eyes wide open, and the form staring down at me. Scurrying across the floor in front of me was one of the battery-powered rats from the second room. The house was toying with me, but for some reason, seeing that rat pulled my mind back from whatever depths it was headed, and I, took, and I looked around the room. I was getting out of there. I was determined to get out of that house and live and never think about this place again. I knew this room was hell, and I wasn't ready to take up residency. At first, it was just my eyes that moved. I searched the walls for any kind of opening. The room wasn't big, so it didn't take long to soak up the entire layout. The demon still taunted me, the voice growing louder as the form stayed rooted where it stood. I placed my hand on the floor, lifted myself up to all four, and turned to scan the wall behind me. Then I saw something I couldn't believe. The form was now right at my back, whispering into my mind how I shouldn't have come. I felt its breath on the back of my neck, but I refused to turn around. A large rectangle was scratched into the wood with a small dent chipped away in the center of it. Right in front of my eyes, I saw the large seven I had mindlessly etched into the wall. I knew what it was. Room 7 was just beyond that wall where room 5 was moments ago. I don't know how I had done it. Maybe it was just my state of mind at the time, but I had created the door. I knew I had. In my madness, I had scratched into the wall what I needed the most, an exit to the next room. Room 7 was close. I knew the demon was right behind me, but for some reason it couldn't touch me. I closed my eyes and placed both hands on the large seven in front of me. I pushed. I pushed as hard as I could. The demon was now screaming in my ear. It told me I was never leaving. It told me that this was the end, but I wasn't going to die. I was going to live there in room six with it. I wasn't. I pushed and screamed at the top of my lungs. I knew I was going to push through the wall eventually. I clenched my eyes shut and screamed, and the demon was gone. I was left in silence. I turned around slowly 
and was greeted by the room as it, as it was when I entered, just a chair and a lamp. I couldn't believe it, but I didn't have time to dwell. I turned to back to the seven and jumped back slightly. What I saw was a door. It wasn't the one I had scratched in, but a regular door with a large seven on it. My whole body was shaking. It took me a while to turn the knob. <clears throat> I just stood there for a while, staring at the door. I couldn't stay in room six. I couldn't. But if this was only room six, I couldn't imagine what seven had in store. I must have stood there for an hour, just staring at the seven. Finally, with a deep breath, I twisted the knob and opened the door to room seven. I stumbled through the door, mentally exhausted and physically weak. The door behind me closed and I realized where I was. I was outside, not outside like room five, but actually outside. My eyes stung. I wanted to cry. I, felt, I fell to my knees and tried, but I couldn't. I was finally out of that hell. I didn't even care about the prize that was promised. I turned and saw that door, that the door I had just went through was the entrance. I walked to my car and drove home, thinking of how nice a shower sounded. I pulled up to my house. I felt uneasy. The joy of leaving no end house had faded and dread was slowly building in my stomach. <clears throat> I shook it off as residual from the house and made my way back to the front door. I entered and immediately went up to my room. There on my bed was my cat, Bakersville, or Baskersville, I'm sorry. He was the first living thing I had seen all night, and I reached to pet him. He hissed and swiped at my hand. I recoiled in shock as he had never acted like that. I thought, whatever, he's an old cat. I jumped in the shower and got ready for what I was expecting to be a sleepless night. After my shower, I went to the kitchen to make something to eat. I descended the stairs and turned into the family room. What I saw would be forever burned into my mind. However, my parents were lying on the ground, naked and covered in blood. They were mutilated to near un unidentifiable states. Their limbs were removed and placed next to their bodies, and their heads were placed on their chests facing me. The most unsettling part was their expressions. They were smiling as though they were happy to see me. I vomited and sobbed in the living room. I didn't know what had happened. They didn't even live with me at the time. I was a mess. Then I saw it, a door that was never there before, a door with a large eight scrawled in blood. I was still in the house. I was standing in my family room, but I was in room seven. The faces of my parents smiled wide, wider as I realized this. They weren't my parents. They couldn't be, but they looked exactly like them. The door marked eight was across the room behind the mutilated bodies in front of me. I knew I had to move on, but at that moment, I gave up. The smiling faces tore into my mind. They ground me where I stood. I vomited again and nearly collapsed. Then the hum returned. It was louder than ever, and it filled the house and shook the walls. The hum compelled me to walk. I began to walk slowly, making my way closer to the door and the bodies. I could barely stand, let alone walk, and the closer I got to my parents, the closer I came to suicide. 
The walls were now shaking so hard it seemed as though they were going to crumble, but still the faces smiled at me. As I inched closer, their eyes followed me. I was now between the two bodies, a few feet away from the door. The dismembered hands crawled their way across the carpet towards me, all while the faces continued to stare. New terror washed over me and I walked faster. I didn't want to hear them speak. I didn't want the voices to match those of my parents. They began to open their mouths and the hands were inches from my feet. In a dash of desperation, I lunged towards the door, threw it open, and slammed it behind me. Room eight. I was done. After what I had just experienced, I knew there wasn't anything else this fucking house could throw at me that I couldn't live through. There was nothing short of the fires of hell that I wasn't ready for. Unfortunately, I underestimated the abilities of No End House. Unfortunately, things got more disturbing, more terrifying, and more unspeakable in room eight. I still have trouble believing what I saw in room eight. Again, the room was a carbon copy of rooms three and six, but sitting in the usually empty chair was a man. After a few seconds of disbelief, my mind finally accepted the fact that the man sitting in the chair was me. Not someone who looked like me. It was David Williams. I walked closer. I had to get a better look, even though I was sure of it. He looked up at me, and I noticed tears in his eyes. Please, please don't do it. Please don't hurt me. What? I asked. Who are you? I'm not going to hurt you. Yes, you are. He was sobbing now. You're going to hurt me, and I don't want you to. He sat in the chair with his legs up and began rocking back and forth. It was actually pretty pathetic looking, especially since he was me, identical in every way. Listen, who are you? I was now only a few, free, few feet from my doppelganger. It was the weirdest experience yet, standing there talking to myself. I wasn't scared, but I would be soon. Why are you... You're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. If you want to leave, you're going to hurt me. Why are you saying this? Just calm down, all right? Let's try to figure this. And then I saw it. The David sitting down was wearing the same clothes as me, except for a small red patch on his shirt embroidered with the number nine. You're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. Please, you're going to hurt me. My eyes didn't leave the small number on his chest. I knew exactly what it was. The first few doors were plain and simple, but after a while, they got a lot more ambiguous. Seven was scratched into the wall, but by my own hands. Eight was marked in blood above the bodies of my parents, but nine. The number was on a person, a living person. Worse still, it was on a person that looked exactly like me. David? I had to ask. Yes, you're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me, he continued and to sob and rock. He answered to David. He was me, right down to the voice. But that nine, I, placed around, I paced around for a few minutes while he sobbed in his chair. The room had no door, and similarly, 
to room six, the door I came through was gone. For some reason, I assumed that scratching would get me nowhere this time. I studied the walls and the floor around the chair, sticking my head underneath and seeing if anything was below. Unfortunately, there was. Below the chair was a knife. Attached was a tag that read, To David from Management. The feeling in my stomach as I read that tag was something sinister. I wanted to throw up, and the last thing I wanted to do was remove that knife from under that chair. The other David was still sobbing uncontrollably. My mind was spinning into an attic of unanswerable questions. Who put this here, and how did they get my name? Not to mention the fact that as I knelt on the cold wood floor, I also sat in the chair sobbing in protest of being hurt by myself. It was all too much to process. The house and the management had been playing with me this whole time. My thoughts for some reason turned to Peter and whether or not he got this far. If he had, if he had met a Peter Terry sobbing in this very chair, rocking back and forth, I shook those thoughts from my head. They didn't matter. I took the knife from under the chair and immediately the other David went quiet. David, he said in my voice, what do you think you're going to do? I lifted, from, I lifted myself from the ground and clenched the knife in my hand. I'm going to get out of here. David was still sitting in the chair, though he was very calm now. He looked up at me with a slight grin. I couldn't tell if he was going to laugh or strangle me. Slowly, he got up from the chair and stood facing me. It was uncanny. His height and even the way he stood matched mine. I felt the rubber hilt of the knife in my hand and I gripped it tighter. I don't know what I was planning on doing with it, but I had a feeling I was going to need it. Now, his voice was slightly deeper than my own. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you and I'm going to keep you here. I didn't respond. I just lunged and tackled him to the ground. I had mounted him and looked down, knife posed and ready. He looked up at me, terrified. It was like I was looking in a mirror. Then the hum returned, low and distant. Though I still felt it deep in my body, David looked up at me as I looked down at myself. The hum was getting louder, and I felt something inside me snap. With one motion, I slammed the knife into the patch on his chest and ripped down. Blackness fell on the room, and I was falling. The darkness around me was like nothing I had ever experienced up to that point. Room four was dark, but it didn't come close to what I was completely what was completely engulfing me. I wasn't even sure if I was falling after a while. I felt weightless, covered in dark. Then a deep sadness came over me. I felt lost, depressed, suicidal. The sight of my parents entered my mind. I knew it wasn't real. But I had seen it, and the mind has trouble differentiating between what is real and what isn't. The sadness only deepened. I was in a room, I was in room nine for what seemed like days, the final room, and that's exactly what it was the end. No end house had an end, 
and I had reached it. At that moment, I gave up. I knew I would be in that in-between state forever, accompanied by nothingness, nothing but darkness. Not even the hum was there to keep me sane. I had lost all senses. I couldn't feel myself. I couldn't hear anything. Sight was completely useless here. I searched for a taste in my mouth and found nothing. I felt disembodied and completely lost. I knew where I was. This was hell. Room nine was hell. Then it happened. A light. One of those stereotypical lights at the end of the tunnel. I felt ground come up from below me and I was standing. After a moment or two of gathering my thoughts and senses, I slowly walked towards the light. As I approached the light, it took form. It was a vertical slit down the side of an unmarked door. I slowly walked through the door and found myself back where I started, the lobby of No End House. It was exactly how I left it, still empty, still decorated with childish Halloween decorations. After everything that had happened that night, I was still wary of where I was. After a few moments of normalcy, I looked around the place trying to find anything different. On the desk was a plain white envelope with my name handwritten on it. Immensely curious, yet still cautious, I mustered up the courage to open the envelope. Inside was a letter, again handwritten. David Williams, congratulations. You have made it to the end of No End House. Please accept this prize as a token of great achievement. Yours forever, management. With the letter were five $100 bills. I couldn't stop laughing. I laughed for what seemed like hours. I laughed as I walked out to my car and laughed as I drove home. I laughed as I pulled into my driveway. I laughed as I opened my front door to my house and laughed as I saw the small 10 etched in the wood. And thus concludes part one. Part two. It had been three weeks since I heard any word from David. In the six months since we started dating, we had only gone three days without talking. And that was after a pretty intense fight. There was nothing out of the ordinary when I had talked to him last. He had just mentioned that he was going to check something out a friend told him about. But then I got a really weird text the night before. It was from David, but it wasn't from his number. It only had five words in it. No end. Don't come. David. Something was wrong. After I read that text, I felt nauseous. Like I was seeing something I couldn't. I decided to get a hold of Peter, but I had talked to this ass before. He was a deadbeat. But at least he might have some information on where David might be. I decided to log into AIM with David's account. I figured it would be easier to start something with Peter if he didn't know it was me. When I logged on, he immediately messaged me. David? Holy shit, you had me worried. I thought you went to the house. What do you mean? No end house, man. That place I told you about, I could have sworn you were going to go. No end. 
This guy knew what was going on. Yeah, uh, I actually couldn't find it. Maybe I'll try again tomorrow. Where was it again? No way. You already had me worried. Fuck that place. I've been there. You do not want to go there. Peter, this is Maggie. Wait, what? Dude, where's David? I don't know. I thought you would know, but apparently not. Oh, shit. Oh, shit, 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 shit. What? Seriously, Peter, you need to tell me what's going on. I think you went to the house. It's outside of town, maybe four miles down Terrace Street. Unmarked road, turn right. Shit, man, he's gone. No, I don't think he is. What are you planning on doing? I'm going to get him back. I left the next night at around 8. There wasn't a single car the entire trip, and I was turned on to the unmarked street. I saw a sign pointing down the road. No end. This way. Open 24 hours. My breathing hadn't been steady since I left my house, and seeing the house didn't help. There weren't any other cars around, which made me think that it wasn't open. Light from the front stoop eliminated the surrounding area, and the windows showed that lights were on inside. I parked my car, walked up to the front, and made my way in. The front lobby was normal enough, but as I predicted, there wasn't anyone there. All the lights were on, but no one was there. Besides the door I came through, there was only one other. Posted next to it was another sign. Room one, this way. Eight more follow. Reach the end and you win. That wasn't what made my stomach sink. That wasn't what stopped my heart. There was more below, scrawled and handwritten in red. You won't save him. I must have stood in the lobby for an hour. I was frozen. I didn't know how to go on. Did I go through the door? Did I call the police? After the reading the sign, I decided that I may have bitten off more than I could chew. I'm average height for a girl, but pretty thin. I wasn't about to fight off some psycho that was holding David hostage. I decided calling the cops was the best thing to do, so I reached into my pocket and opened my phone to call. No service. The house must be blocking the signal, and it was basically in the middle of nowhere. I walked towards the entrance, figuring I'd find service outside. I reached to the knob and twisted, and nothing. It was locked. I shook it harder. Nothing. It was locked from the outside. I slammed my hands against the door and called out to anyone that could hear me. I knew it was useless, but no one was out here except me. No one. Then I felt a vibration in my pocket. I reached down and looked at my phone. One unread text. At first, I was really glad I had service. Oh, I was saved. Maybe the next text was from David, that he was all right. It was from a different number, one I didn't have in my phone. 
I pressed open and nearly dropped my phone. You can't save yourself either. My entire body was shaking. I wanted to pass out. I was stuck here. A cell phone with no service and a room with no exit. My eyes scanned the room and landed on the door across the room. A gold one was mounted on the front. It looked like a room door in a hotel. The ground felt far away as I walked closer to the door. In a few moments, I was within inches of it and I placed my head against the wood and listened. All I heard was distant Halloween music. Hmm. Just creepy instrumental music you'd hear at any haunted house. Suddenly I got a little calmer. David was always known for his pranks. He would tell me about these elaborate setups he and his friends would make for the new players on their soccer team. Somehow, a smile found its way onto my face, and I opened the door without fear. Entering the first room alleviated my fears even more. The room was a completely normal attempt at a haunted house, though rather lacking. In each corner was a scarecrow but not even scary ones. They were the kind you used to see in grade school with the big smiling faces, paper ghosts hung from the ceiling, and a fan in the corner added a cold breeze that made them spin. Next to one of the scarecrows was again the only other door in the room. Printed on the front, similar to the first door, was a large two. I laughed. and left this lame room behind me. When I opened the door to room two, I couldn't see three feet in front of me. It was completely filled with a gray mist that smelled like rubber. I guess there had to be some fog machine in here, and it must have been pumping this stuff for hours. There were no windows in the last room, so the ventilation must have been terrible. I walked slowly forward and let out a small shriek. Oh, I had bumped straight into a large robotic Jason Voorhees. Oh, His eyes flashed red and the knife in his hand went up and down in a jerky stabbing motion. My heart was racing and if anyone was with me, I would have felt incredibly embarrassed. I covered my mouth and made my way past Robo Jason. The fog was getting to be a little much. I was beginning to feel lightheaded as I found the door to room three. I placed my hand to the knob and jerked it back in pain. Oh, what? The knob was extremely hot. I placed my hand on the door itself and felt that it was a little too warm. I couldn't hear anything from the other side. So I put my ear up against the warm wood, expecting to hear fire, but I heard nothing. I assumed that it was just warm, like they were pumping heat into it, like the final room in Mr. Toad's wild ride at Disneyland. I took the corner of my dress and wrapped it around my hand, turning the doorknob fast, as fast as I could, and I flung myself into room three. Well, there was no fire, just darkness. 
and it was freezing cold. Room three wasn't like the other rooms. It wasn't like the other rooms at all. At that moment, I knew that something wasn't right. I tried to make out anything in the room, but I couldn't even see my hands grasping for the doorknob. The, the doorknob that now wasn't there. I was trapped. I must have been turned around in the darkness, even though I didn't move once I entered. I, I must have gotten turned around. I had to have gotten turned around in all this darkness. At that moment, a light on the ceiling flashed on, a single spotlight pointing directly down, illuminating a small table. And on the small table was a flashlight. Even though I couldn't really see where I was going, I moved forward. The light on the ceiling was enough to make my way to the table. As I reached for the flashlight, I noticed a small tag attached to the handle. To Maggie from management. The moment I finished reading, the light above me turned off and I was again left in the dark. I fumbled with the flashlight for a second, maybe a second too long, before I was able to turn it on. From what seemed like every direction, a low and rumbling hum surrounded me. My heart was pounding and I started to spin in place, darting the beam of flashlight all around me. There was nothing in the room, but after a while I noticed something terrifying. It could have been my imagination, but I could have sworn. I see if is that a figure dart away at the last second? Wherever the beam of light would hit, it would dart away. I started backing away from the small table, unsure which direction I was going. The hum was getting louder. And then I started to feel the presence of whatever it was that was dodging the light. My hands shook wildly as I frantically shined the light in whatever direction I could think of. It was always there, just barely escaping back into the darkness every time, but it was getting closer. <sighs> My eyes started to well up with tears. I thought I was going to drop the flashlight. I was shaking so badly until I saw it. The light set directly on a small number four. It was written on a piece of paper and taped to a wooden door in the corner. Oh, I ran. I ran as fast as I could with the flashlight pointed directly in front of me. I could feel it behind me. The hum was getting louder and I thought I felt its breath on my neck. I was sprinting at this point, only a few more feet to go. In one motion, I grabbed the handle twisted and slammed it shut behind me. I was now in the fourth room. I was outside. I wasn't in the house anymore. What awaited me after opening the door to room four was what looked like a cave. I looked down to the ground and I noticed something strange and a little disturbing. The ground wasn't made of grass or rock or even dirt. It was wood paneling. It was the same floor as in the previous rooms. This was room four. Somehow I was still in that house. 
There were a few torches mounted to the side of the rock surrounding me and the cave beyond, which pitch black. The torches looked like they could be taken down, so I walked over to the closest one and unsheathed it from its mounting piece. I tried to steady my breathing. My body was covered in sweat, and I slowly made my way into the cave. The hum was gone, hopefully for good. No other noise met me inside the cave, but there was a slight breeze. The cave seemed to go on forever, and I was walking for what felt like hours until I saw a faint blue light. I walked toward it cautiously, but at a decent pace. The light was an opening, the end of the tunnel. I started walking a little faster. I always hated cramped spaces like caves and tunnels. In a few moments, the exit was within feet. And before I knew it, I was at the end. At the exit of the cave, the ground dropped off to a cliff and there was no other way to go. I looked back into the dark cave behind me. I knew there wasn't any turns, it was a straight tunnel. I turned and looked down over the edge. What I saw made my stomach turn worse than it ever did before. What I saw was an ocean, water all around with nothing else in sight. The drop must have been mm, maybe a hundred feet with a small rock formation at the bottom. After a few seconds of studying the rocks, my stomach turned more than I thought possible and my body broke into a fresh sweat. The rocks formed a number. The rocks formed five. I stood up and backed away from the edge. I hated heights. Oh, did I hate heights? I was stopped by a wall that shouldn't have been there. I turned around and was met with a terrifying sight. The cave was gone. I was face to face with a solid stone wall, the side of whatever mountain this was. I had to keep telling myself I was still in the no-end house. I didn't leave. Clearly, this isn't an actual mountain, but it felt so real. I turned back and looked over the cliff again. There was no way. There was no way. This house has been pretty messed up before now. I was outside, for God's sake. But what it expected me to do now was just too much. I knew what those rocks down there meant. That was the entrance to room five. There were no stairs leading down, no other paths to use. I was trapped again. The house wanted me to jump. The house wanted me to jump. I sank to the ground and curled into a ball. I couldn't do it. I cannot do it. There was no way I could jump off a cliff onto a jagged rock formation a hundred feet below. My mind was split in two. I knew that I was still inside, but my surroundings screamed in my ear the opposite. I stayed there on the wooden ground for a while. At that point, I had lost all concept of time. After what seemed like weeks, I finally stood up. Slowly, I made my way to the edge of the cliff and looked down. The giant five taunted me to jump.
and then the hum returned. The low and distant hum. It seemed to come from behind me, resonating within the mountain. I don't know what came over me. I really don't, but after hearing that sound, something inside me lit up. I clenched my eyes shut. I took a deep breath and I jumped. The wind was rushing up as I fell and a deep fear washed over me. I was going to die. I am gonna die. I was gonna die. I was going to smash into those rocks and die. They were going to tear me apart and I was going to die. I didn't dare open my eyes. I just fell. Even with the loud wind around me, the hum was now deafening. I just wanted it to be over. I just need this to be over. I just wanted to hit the rocks. I don't want it to be over. And then I stopped. I wasn't falling anymore. But I never hit the rocks. I slowly opened my eyes and looked around. I was standing on the familiar wood paneling of the house. The hum was gone and silence took its place. I had made it. I was in room five. I don't know how it happened. Oh, but I was in room five. The feeling of dread was gone. I was just incredibly happy to be alive. After a few moments to collect myself, I decided to look around at the rest of the room. Man, did my happiness leave me fast. This room was empty. The walls matched the floor and the ceiling matched the walls and the walls had no doors or windows. I was sealed in a box. Then I realized I didn't make it. I wasn't safe. I had made it out of the fourth room, but only to enter room five. And there was no leaving it. At that moment, I wondered if David had been in this room. I wondered if he had jumped off that hundred foot cliff and ended up stuck in the room. And if he did, that means he got out. He wasn't here. I was alone. He got out. And I would too. The thought of David escaping this room gave me newfound confidence and a second wind filled my spirit. I was going to get out of this room, find David and get us the hell out of here. I walked around the perimeter of the wall and felt for any sort of inconsistencies, nothing. The walls were flawless, barely a scratch on them, let alone some secret exit. I started to knock at random places on the walls. They were completely solid. The confidence started to leave me. I was running out of ideas. And that's when she spoke to me. Maggie, you shouldn't have come here, Maggie. I nearly jumped out of my skin if that was possible. I was still facing the wall and the voice had come from the middle of the room. The voice was that of a little girl. At least that's what it sounded like. 
I turned around slowly and my eyes fell on who spoke to me. I was right. A little blonde girl, no more than seven years old, with light blue eyes and a long white dress. She smiled at me and spoke again. But now that you're here, let's play a game. That was something horrifying about that little girl. She wasn't scary like those horror girls in those Japanese movies. She looked completely normal. If I saw her walking down the street, I would have just walked right on by. But looking into her eyes, I felt complete terror. Jumping off a cliff was scary, but I wouldn't jump off 20 cliffs twice as high if it meant I could take back one minute of looking into her soulless eyes. After a moment of staring, I finally spoke. What came? Who are you? I mumbled. If you lose, you die. If I win, he dies. My heart sank somewhere below my feet. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, but I knew deep inside my soul that she was telling the truth. Which will it be? She smiled. Neither. Neither. I don't know where I found the courage to talk back to this demon child, but I had come too far to just let David die. And if I died, this was all for nothing. No, I chose neither. But then I saw it. The reason the little girl terrified me. She was more than just a small child. Looking at her, I also saw what appeared to be a large man covered in hair with the head of a ram. It was a horrible sight. I couldn't see one without seeing the other. The little girl stood in front of me, but I knew her true form. It was the worst sight I had ever seen. Oh, too bad, she said. And with that, she was gone. I was alone again in an empty and silent room. Only this time, something was added. A small table where she stood appeared from nowhere, as though it was there the whole time. There was something on it, but I couldn't tell from where I was. I walked up to the table and looked at the small object. It was a small razor. You know, like one you would find in an X-Acto knife? I reached out to pick it up, and as I did, a scream left my mouth. When my hand came into view, I saw something that was not there before. It looked as though something was branded into my skin. A single number six. I looked back to the razor and noticed the tag attached to it. To Maggie, from management, thought you may need this. After reading the note, I started sobbing uncontrollably. Tears were rushing down my face, harder than they have ever rushed in my life. 
I had never cried like that, and I don't think I ever will again. I was sobbing for hours, just lying there on the cold ground, and then the crying stopped, and depression set in. I don't even know why I was crying. It wasn't about David. It wasn't even about how I was stuck here. I was trapped. There were still no doors in the room, but that's not why I was sad. I was in the deepest depression possible, complete and emotionless depression. I felt empty and clawed my way up from the ground and steadied myself against the table. My eyes fell on the razor and I picked it up. I was going to kill myself. I couldn't handle it anymore. I had, I had had it. I had had enough. David was probably dead. I was trapped in here, it was over. I pressed the razor against my wrist, right above the six that appeared on my skin. The sobbing came back and I just stood there, crying with this razor pressed against my wrist. David was dead. He's dead. I was about to die. Nothing mattered anymore. And with one deep cut, I sliced down my wrist. Immediately after slicing down, I was no longer in room five. I didn't die. I knew that for sure. The depression was gone, but I was by no means happy. Tears were still finding their way down my face. The room I was in was similar to the one previous, and again, it had no doors. There weren't any lamps, but somehow I was still able to see everything clearly. The room was completely empty, but before I had time to think of what to do next, it went dark, and the hum from before returned. I covered my ears in protest. It was louder than it ever was before, but it was over in a moment. And the lights returned, only this time, something again was added to the room. And then I screamed. There in the middle of the room, strung up by chains and naked from the waist up was David. It looked like he was tortured and knife wounds littered his chest and arms. David, I ran up to him as fast as I could. He was conscious. I saw his chest move up and down, but he wasn't speaking. And that's when I noticed, that's when I noticed what was etched into his chest. I dropped to my knees as I saw it. The seven stared at me as though it had eyes. I heard David try and speak, and I got to my feet and got as close as I could to him. David, David, can you hear me? Maggie, what are you, what are you doing here? His voice was slight, but he was talking, and I was so thankful for that. David, I'm trying to save you. How do I get you down? There were large padlocks on the chains holding him in place. 
I looked around the room for any sort of key, but all I found was a small knife in one of the corners. The metal was way too thick for that knife to even dent it, so I disregarded it as useless. I went back to David. It looked like he was on the verge of death, and then I felt my pocket vibrate. It startled me something awful. I steadied my hand, and I took the phone out of my pocket. As I suspected, one unread text. I flipped open the phone. That isn't me. I didn't know what to think. David was right there in front of me, but that text was from the first number that contacted me. It was the first text I received from David that mentioned the no end house. Maggie, I heard his voice clearly with my ears and my mind. It seemed like his voice was coming from all sides. Maggie, you have to go on. What are you talking about? How? I was face to face with David or whoever it was that was chained up here. That knife. He made a slight movement of his head toward the corner. Go get it. I ran and was immediately back with the knife clenched in hand within a few seconds. I had no idea what was going on, but I needed to save him. And I would do any, now stab me in the chest. What? I was shocked. David hung there, staring directly into my eyes. You have to run that knife through the seven on my chest. It's the only way to save us both. N no, I stumbled backward. No, no. You're not making any sense. Maggie, he was screaming now. His eyes looked frantic. The side of his mouth curled into a twisted grin. Maggie, stab me now. It's the only way. I looked down at the knife in my hand. My head felt as though it was being struck with a bat. I was at a complete loss. I clenched my eyes shut tight and felt the knife in my hand. Maggie! And with a scream and a thrust, I stabbed the knife into David's chest. I don't know what came over me. I just knew, I just knew it was the only way. I opened my eyes and I saw his face. I was terrified. Tears slid down his cheeks and David looked me in the eyes. Why, why did you do that? He couldn't fool me. I know that wasn't David. It couldn't have been, or else I wouldn't have been able to stab him. I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't. His eyes rolled back as the life left him. But that's when it changed. The seven on his body was gone. The blood dripped down onto the ground into a pool below me. The crimson liquid stretched out in every direction. 
The circle nearly filled the room and I began to sink. I tried to move, but I couldn't. It was like quicksand. The blood was up to my knees now. As much as I tried to struggle, I just sank deeper. I'm up to my chest now. I clawed and scratched at the wood around me. The lifeless body of David hung above his head, facing me, smiling. He was smiling, and now the blood was at my neck. I was beyond terrified. Before long, I was fully submerged and fell into darkness. When I woke up, I was outside the house. I could feel the cold earth below me. I rolled onto my back and looked up at the night sky. The no-end house towered above me, complete with my car parked in the same spot. I wasn't sure whether I should laugh or cry. I was out. I was out. I was out. I was out. I made it out. I got up and dusted off my pants. My body was still shaking as I walked to my car, but a feeling of uneasiness washed over me. There was no way I escaped. The house wouldn't just let me go. Something wasn't right. I knew it. I knew I didn't kill David in the sixth room. I knew I didn't, but he was somewhere to be found. Somewhere. He had to be. Or maybe nowhere. I reached down into my pocket and took out my phone. No one read messages, but I did have service. I flipped it open and I began to text David. Where are you? I wrote. Within a second of sending it, I got a reply. I pressed open excitedly. Room 10. Your room 7 run what? And the deafening hum returned. I bolted. I didn't know where I was going, but I knew I wasn't outside. I was still in the house. The hum rattled everything around me. It shook the trees and even the air itself. I just needed to find an eight. I just need to find an eight. I needed to find the next room. That was my only chance. The first few rooms were obvious, but as I progressed, it was getting less and less clear where the rooms started and where they ended. I had no idea what I was looking for, anything that had a number on it. I needed to find an eight. I needed to find an eight. I need to find an unread text. Your address. What the hell did he mean, my address? I slid the phone back in my pocket. The hum was growing louder and louder, and that's when it hit me. My address, my address, my address. It couldn't be. It couldn't be. 4896 Forest Lane, unit number eight. I slammed into my car and flung the door open. The hum shook the metal of the car and seemed to follow me inside. I floored it and made my way back down the dirt road toward my apartment. None of this was making any sense. How was room eight my apartment? Should I have even trusted that text? It was from David, I know it was. There was no reason not to trust it. 
It took no time at all to drive to my complex, and honestly, I didn't even remember driving. It was like when you zone out for a minute and wake up farther down the road. I didn't even bother locking it as I ran up the front gate. My hands fumbled with the keys as I unlocked the bolt and made my way into the first hallway on the left. My complex was huge, but my apartment was one of the first ones on the left. I ran as fast as I could, past four, past five. The further I made it down, the further away the hum seemed to be. As I passed unit seven, I could barely hear it anymore. And when I stopped in front of my unit, I was in complete silence. I just stood there, standing in front of my apartment. The small gold eight was at eye level with me. I reached for the doorknob and slowly slid my key in, twisted, and the door swung open and I was sucked in like a vacuum, the door slamming behind me. Room eight. I got up off the floor and looked around. It was identical to my apartment. If I didn't know any better, I would have assumed that I was home and that this was just a bad dream. My mind went to David and wondered what room eight was to him, what it was that the house showed him. I walked around and studied the area. Literally everything was how I left it, right down to the half-eaten Chinese left out next to the sink. I looked over at my computer desk in the family room. The monitor was still on and AIM was still up and running. I walked over and sat in front of it, scrolling through my conversation with Peter. It was there, word for word. The house knew all of this and how I had no idea what was going on. I tried my hardest not to think about it. The answer, no doubt, something I was better off not knowing. I tried to click out of AIM, but it wouldn't let me. The computer just froze. I clicked shut down, nothing. I clicked control, alt, delete, nothing. I pressed the monitor's power button, nothing. And then a pop-up appeared on the screen. It was a video chat. I looked at the list of people in it, and there were two names, Maggie and management. The video feed was live, and all it showed was a gray wall. Then a message from management popped into the text box. Hope everything is how you left it. Who are you? I responded. Enjoy the show. And that's when the camera turned on. The camera focused on a young man strapped to a surgical table. He was completely naked and sobbing quietly to himself. The image wasn't that clear, but I thought I, thought I had recognized the man lying there. He was tall with short brown hair and a fairly pale complexion. This is what happens when people attempt to cheat. That's when I realized who it was. Strapped to the surgical table was Peter Terry. And he wasn't alone. I don't want to describe what I watched at that moment. The screams, 
the sounds that Peter made were unlike anything, anything I have ever heard come out of a human. I couldn't look away. I wanted to, but I think it was the power of the room. I couldn't, I just, I just couldn't look away. Peter let out one final soul curdling scream, but I didn't hear it through the computer speakers. It was coming from my room. My heart sank as I spun around. I stared down the hallway. I got up off my chair and I could still hear the screams emanating as I walked towards its source. I reached my bedroom door and the screams were now replaced by the hum. That hum. It had haunted me the entire time. I slowly opened the door and I saw inside my room what I had seen on my computer. There was the surgical table with whatever was left of Peter Terry strewn across its top. No one else was there. The others in the room were gone, but a chill went down my spine. The management was here with me, only one room away. I walked closer to the table. The stench was horrific, and it took everything in me to stop from vomiting. I knew I was near the end. I had to be. I looked around the room. Somewhere in here was the entrance to the next room. I knew it had to be, and it was, but it was simpler than what I had expected. Across the room where my bathroom door should have been was a simple wooden door similar to the early ones in the house. Something was stapled to the door, something long and bloody. It was the entrails of Peter Terry and they formed a nine on the door. I felt bad for Peter, but I had gone through hell that night. I walked right past the table picked up a long surgical knife and didn't give the body a second glance. The final door was there and I walked right up to it. This night was about to end and I was coming out of that room with David and I was going to stop whoever it was that was keeping him there. The door opened easily and as I stepped through, I saw what was waiting for me. It was an empty room. It resembled a waiting room for a doctor's office. There were a few chairs lining the wall and crumpled up old magazines in a basket in the corner. Across the room on the opposite side from where I came in, there stood a single door. My heart sank when I read the label printed on the wood. It wasn't a number. It was a single word. Management. I clenched the cervical knife in my hand. All right. All right, I'm fucking ending this. They were on the other side of the door. I could feel it. And David was too. The hum was louder than it had ever been. I could feel it inside me. It was coming from inside me. As I walked, it got louder. And as I placed a hand on the door, the room was filled with the sound. I turned the knob and opened the door. The room waiting for me was not what I had expected. 
It was the front lobby. The same front lobby that began this entire hell. Only this time, there was someone behind the desk. My heart jumped out of my chest when I saw who it was. It was Peter Terry. Hello, Maggie. Peter? No. There was no how. What? Who were you expecting? A ghost? Satan? Some creepy little blonde girl? He was smiling. I wasn't. What the hell is going on here? Maggie, come on. Just think for two seconds. Who first told David about this place? You... You didn't. Who told you about David's whereabouts? God damn it, Peter! You're his friend! I'm sorry, Maggie. But that's how we run business here. Where is he? Where is he? He's in here. With us. In the house, Maggie. He isn't going anywhere. And neither are you. I don't know what took over me, but I lost it. I jumped over the counter and shoved Peter to the ground. I grabbed him by the hair and slammed his head into the ground. The surgical knife in my other hand pressed firmly against his neck. I wanted to kill him. I had to kill him. He killed David. He wasn't killing me. Maggie, you can't. There's always going to be someone to run the house. No. No. I slid the knife across his throat and slammed his head further into the ground. I don't think there will be. With his death, the room went dark. I could still feel the surgical knife, but I was no longer holding it. And I was no longer holding on to Peter's hair. I don't know for how long I was in the darkness, but it felt like ages. I stood and felt for the desk, balancing myself with one hand on the side of the marble surface. Then the lights came on. I could see the windows across the room. It was still night out. I looked out and I saw him. David was walking around outside, seemingly unharmed. I ran to the door and tried to open it. I was so happy. But the door wouldn't budge. It wouldn't open. I tried my hardest, but the door wouldn't let me out. I looked out the window and I saw David as he began to walk down the dirt road. I rested my head against the door and I saw it. My stomach lurched hard. There, pinned to my chest, was a name tag with only one word on it, management. Thank you so much for coming to listen to The No End House. And that's the end of part two. <laughs> Yay. <laughs>
Yay! <laughs> hope everyone enjoyed it. I hope everyone enjoyed it. I know it was a long one, and I gave you forewarning that it would be. But this one was too good to pass up. And there is a lot of psychology behind this. A lot of dark and twisted things that people don't like to face about themselves. Whether it be fear or flaws or mental disorders that plague us on the daily that each and every one of us suffer from some variation of it. And that is what I loved about this story is that it kicks you right in the feels and it forces you to see how you would react in this situation. It puts you in the character. I really felt it. I loved it. I really connected with Maggie. I liked Maggie a lot. And uh, that ending, right? Yeah. That was it, good. It was, a, it was a twist. It was definitely Plot a twist. twist. And I do want to put out there just because, you know, we, we, the story did involve some really heavy topics and everything. Um, in case anybody ever does experience difficult times and need to reach out to someone, uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1 800 273 8255. And you can call that anytime. This is just for the future. If anybody has any, thing that they need to work out or need, you know, uh, a person to listen. So I just wanted to throw that out there in case anybody who listens now or in the future, they can have someone to talk to. So just wanted to put that out there. Absolutely. No, you are not alone. Reach out to anybody if you need help. You're not by yourself. Yes. Somebody is there. Absolutely. Ooh, heavy topics. Let's right. look at our three comments that we have <laughs> yes. before we close out for the night. <laughs> oh, the hearts. Love the hearts. Thank you so much. You see, if they once they got into the building, they should have just turned around and left. They could have avoided all of this issue. The house oh, wouldn't let, oh, oh. would let them. The doors. Mm-hmm. Too many doors. I liked it. <laughs> I'm following you on Kisha. Continue, continue, continue. All right. Yay. Thank you so, so much. You Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm really glad you liked it. That's awesome. You read, y'all read the fuck out of that story. Yeah. Oh, my God. Y'all read the hell out of that. I loved everything second of it miss ma'am sue madam i was pulled in miss 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 calic madam this lady how dare y'all that was amazing i loved every second of that i did i need more right, let, let's go on another two hours yeah <laughs> <laughs> everybody liked it so much we may have we, to plan another one i wouldn't be opposed right we may have to plan another one i i'm not opposed to maybe making this a, a bi-weekly thing instead of an every week 
<laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it definitely takes an emotional toll. Yes, for sure. That is one thing. But, you know, that's what um, the paranormal umbrella is for. Because realistically, I mean, we can we use the paranormal umbrella for anything and everything paranormal, spooky, uh, folklore, you name it. So we have some freedom here. We can do these things. So. We absolutely can. And I, I love doing a creepypasta. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll continue looking and, and bringing you the, the horror <laughs> as we go. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Kellick? You thought you were going to get away from it at the end of October. I, I know. I thought November would, like, be my reset and I could move on from all the horror stuff. I don't like horror. But nope the irony the irony that you don't like horror and here you are reading horror stories amazingly by the way uh, oh thank you you too you did an awesome job <laughs> even though i had a little static every now and then i'm gonna have to work on my audio here and see what's going on with that maybe past me my too apparently right yeah sorry about all that Something's going on with my mic every single week. I'm telling you, man, maybe you need a new mic. Uh, I'm going to look into, like, I'm going to look into maybe trying out a couple different, you know, data cables and a couple different things that Okay. I'll get it working. Well, that sounds good. You'll get it, girl. You'll get it. Let's see what's the last two comments. I'm at work, by the way, and my practitioner came in. He's like, what are you listening to? <laughs> I was like, I'm scared. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was so funny. Oh, that's great. That's so awesome. I've been listening this entire time. I was on the edge of my seat with that story. I didn't like the ending for maggie but maybe there will be a part three who knows i loved it um maybe? please tell me you'll be doing more of these creepy pasta stories <laughs> uh, yeah it looks like we're gonna be yeah but uh yeah so not to like throw spoilers in there but there is a part three to this that we chose not to do and because first of all it takes it it takes the craziness a step further than it already was um but in addition to that it also had a really really crappy ending and <laughs> i didn't want like i didn't i told you not to even read it because when i read it it like sucked all the magic out of the story i was like you know what screw that i don't want to do that so yeah so we did. We chose not to do the third. Leave part. it with a and, good cliffhanger, right? Yeah, well, left it with a, a decent cliffhanger there. So, because let me tell you, part three didn't Absolutely. leave you any better off. So, well, no, I love this. I love the cliffhanger. But like we always do, if you look above our head, you see that PCPS podcast solo link. If you click that, it'll give you all of our social medias. We are on the Tic Tacs and the Twits and the Facebooks 
in the RSS feeds and the Spotify and iHeartRadio and Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, and soon we will be on Google and Amazon Music. So you will be able to find us everywhere. You can't escape us. You can't. Literally everywhere. No. And there's also we, a link. We are like the no end <laughs> That's right. Every door you open, ta-da, surprise. Nothing. It's alive. <laughs> but we also have a Discord. And if you join our Discord, you will be able to see every piece of research that we do on every topic. And you will also be able to finish reading if you do decide to read part three. Although I, I, I don't recommend it, but you can. It's your option, free will and all that. Wonderful. So everything that we do is posted in each category in each channel in our discord and plus you get to see us live stream horror games which soon we'll be coming to twitch to do so but until then we're on discord and you get to see us play some ghost watchers and hunting bigfoot and escape the back rooms and phasmophobia and soon the uh what is that one called the morgue uh, that that's one? all you. Uh, you got a frog in your pocket? Because uh, this girl doesn't play anymore. Just saying. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely going to be me. She might watch it. She might not. But uh, yeah, that will also be coming soon. So yeah, join the, the community. You know, you can also make requests on there, too. You know, if you've got something that you want us to do some research on so that you can hear it on the next podcast episode, we've got it all there. So join us. Or if it's like a scary story that you want us to read, we can do that, too. Um, Absolutely. Now, for that, I would recommend not linking it until, you know, you maybe link it to us directly so that... You know the the story isn't spoiled where everyone can read it ahead of time so but yeah if anybody right, ever has right. an interest in you know us sharing a story a good creepy pasta or no sleep or something like that absolutely reach out and let us know because we will do requests yeah i don't see a problem with that what do we got? One last. Uh, one I'm going to go back here. and listen on my front porch. The rain stopped and everything else. Got my large pumpkin in the window with the eyes blaring <laughs> and the lights are out. So, yeah. Come awesome. on by, neighbors. No. <laughs> you got the, Anyhow, you got the I was telling you, you got the I was thinking, backer. you know, how people see things out the corner of their eye, too. And you go, like, did you see that? Or did I think I saw that? You know, you just get more aware after you watch horror movies and things like that or read them. You know, <laughs> like a mindset thing. Some people, if they can't really watch them, you know, in their mentality, I understand that. Um, yeah, they don't need to watch them. They really don't. Right. <laughs> but anyways, all right. I will be keeping in touch. Please do. Please do. And if you want to hear the rest of our podcasts, um, you, like I said, you can find us on Spotify. Go ahead and follow us. Uh, give us a listen and um, leave us a rating. Because that helps yeah. us out. So <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> anyway, thank you all so much for joining us tonight for the Paranormal Umbrella Presents 
the no end house for our creepy pasta reading. Um, thank you so much for engaging, for staying and listening and contributing. Uh, we love the comments. We love to hear from everyone. So thank you so much. And we will be putting creepy pasta readings on our episodes. Hopefully we can work out a good schedule so we can at least slip one in a month. So thank you so much. And don't forget, check under your bed, grab your salt, and pray there's no boogeyman. Thanks for joining us, guys. You all are awesome. Have a good night.